0: hello everyone It's good to see everyone we've got an all star LP panel here uh, i we, we determined we have forty six years of experience of looking at fund docs fund uh, presentations pitch decks um, you know I, I think you know some of us have looked at a thousand a year uh, so there's a wealth of knowledge hit us up after if you're an emerging manager or even a regular GP uh, we're always happy to give some advice and thoughts uh, you know to propel your business um, we have OCIOs represented here, Um, and we also have fund of funds, and we have clientele base that ranges from uh, ultra high net worth individuals to sovereign wealth nations and all in between. Um, So we'll we'll start, ladies first. Nancy, Um, what do you look for in a GP, and not just an emerging manager? What about a GP?
1: Thanks, Eric. Good to see you folks. Um, All right, I've been involved in selecting managers for 20 years. I'm also the co founder of an investment management company, so my heart goes out to that emerging manager because I've been there. Um, One thing on our mind um, when we're meeting, can I say an emerging manager? Um,
0: You can. Okay. Great. great. Take it wherever you want. Let's Um, go.
1: We love two is better than one. If you're in a partnership with someone, I think you know, you have that internal reality check. You've got that person to provide a challenge. I hope you have a one plus one equals three type of environment. I think, like, we like the team from Slauson, you know, Austin and AJ. Like, they m- can make each other better. And I think if you have two people at the helm challenging one another, I think th- that that could bode well for your future. Um, a second thing that we look for, you know, if you're emerging, you know, what's your long-term vision? You know, you're gonna get started, but, you're in a marriage if you're gonna be in the private equity venture capital space. Like you're gonna be looking after someone's money for 10 years, a dozen years. So being able to articulate not only your day one vision but your long-term vision, how you're gonna strengthen and grow over time. Um, these guys are much more savvy on you know venture than I am. I'm more of like a multi-asset class thinker so I'm not gonna get into venture in particular. But one thing that our, our organization is really focused on your operating infrastructure. Are you investing in that? Uh, you have so many choices today with like outsourced solutions. I see Carta as a sponsor here right, today. So you can outsource, you can insource, but we, we want the manager to be making a big investment in their operating infrastructure and not shortchanging it. So hope that gives you a flavor. No, Those that's three great. things on our Nat,
2: mind. Anything to add to that? No, that was great. I mean, a story that is going to resonate right off the bat. We see literally hundreds of pitch decks um, every year. Um, my team will underwrite two or three new venture managers every year, so just understanding how high the bar is and how buttoned up you have to be going into a first meeting um, so that we can understand the value proposition right off the bat and get into some more substantive uh, issues um, I, I think that's that 's probably number one for us and,
0: and the only thing i 'd like to add is i don 't think anybody looks at anything different in an emerging manager that we wouldn 't look at. In an established manager, you know it's team, strategy, track record, terms, right? We we look at all managers. I, I don't care if it's a buyout or what, but in an emerging manager situation, you know there's a lot of things that we know are yet to be determined. You know how long has that team been together? Uh, it's a marriage amongst themselves. Uh, you know the track record might not be baked as yet. So we we, not necessarily drop the bar, um, but. We, we don't have to have everything all buttoned up, and that's okay. Be honest with the LPs you're talking to. Uh, you don't have to have everything perfect. We know you'll get there. And actually, we invest in your high management fees to help you get there and invest in that, in that business. <laughs> um, what are some of the first things, uh, Kevin, I'll direct it to you, that you think a new emerging GP should put together or put in place as they're going forward or
3: think about? Well, I think uh, Nancy, said it, that the team is important, but operational infrastructure is certainly important. One of the things that we look at spur capital is the team. We do want to see at least more than one GP. Um, The basics of having a pitch deck and all those different things are certainly important, but what's most important for us is understanding if that GP has some sort of track record to represent or even demonstrate that they can do what they say they're going to do. So we have invested in emerging managers, but there's always a certain characteristic amongst them that's very similar. They were either a founder themselves or they were an operator of some sort, and they have a demonstrated history of success. Maybe they worked at another VC firm, for example, but we like to see that because in today's environment where there are so many people raising capital, it's kind of hard to decipher how do you select the right fund managers. So those are some of the things that we look for characteristically, and whenever we've pinpointed that and identified that and actually acted on that, it's worked out in our favor. Anyone else, Nancy?
1: We had such a great conversation about track record Mm -hmm. in our preparation for today. If you're an emerging manager and you can port your track record and demonstrate that to your investors, that's great. That says something about the relationship that you had with the place that you just left. Um, but if you can't do that, I think you do need to bring a lot of ingenuity into demoing your track record. So I'll give you an example of something that we saw recently, um, an emerging manager, but you know they're established, but they're a first time team spinning out you know, they designated across their managers that like someone like Eric, who sees a lot of managers became like a specialist in their track record and did all the research. And then it was like, hey, if you're another investor, you can talk to, you know, I'm just using you as a case study, Eric. You can chat with Eric. We've been there. Because he's on a great platform, right? And like he can um, credentialize that track record for uh, and show the research and the backup data um, that not every, like our shop might not be able to do that. So you got to bring ingenuity to it because you, you got to show the, show your stuff.
0: And, and what I try to tell entrepreneurs or people that want to be a venture capitalist, maybe they're an angel investor, or even if you're a junior at a firm, put a little memo together about every deal you've worked on and every time there is a round of financing. You know, what it was, pre-money valuation, why you did it, how it's sourced to you. Um, you know, so you have some sort of track record. When it comes time that you have to put it together, it's already made, right? Because that's a lot of work to go back and try to, piece that together so us as LPs can take a look at the track record. There's other simple things like utilizing PitchBook or Capital IQ or Or Bloomberg use public information if you weren't able to port your track record with you Uh, use as much that you can to put it together so you serve it on a silver platter so the LPs don't have to do as much work there's some LPs that won't do much work right and so the more you can help them do their job the the easier it's going to be for your fundraising uh, endeavor Um, you know it it takes time it's not easy
2: but uh, you know, you have to, you, have to, you know, put, it, put, in, put in the work. I might, Eric, if, yeah, just, if you yeah, don't mind, please. I might add the quantitative side of stuff is very important where it's possible. But to the extent a GP will not let a departing partner port their, their track record, there can be more qualitative ways to build that same credibility. So, for example, if you can get a very well-known GP at your old firm to come in as an early LP at your new firm, it's not the same as saying these are my deals and we've got seven people who will speak to each of those, but it gives the same signal.
3: I think one other small point to add to that is one of our partners at SPUR, Paul Gompers, does a tremendous amount of research on this in his role at Harvard. And in his research, he said, the success of a venture capital firm comes down to their ability to source and get into good deals. Up to 90% of their returns are based upon that one factor. So if you're looking at a new manager, you want to see that they can clearly demonstrate a consistency and ability to get into really good deals, even if those deals haven't materialized fully. So that's something that we also look for carefully is can they get into really strong companies? Yeah, just demonstrate excellence.
0: You don't necessarily have to be uh, uh, have a long track record of being a venture capitalist, you could be the world's chess grand champion and also an Olympic athlete, whatever that might be. Or you had a company and you built it and grew it, and maybe you did a few angel investments. You know, Show us your angel track record. We understand that it takes a long time to develop, but there's other things, metrics such as revenue, um, new rounds of financing that could give you some sort of indication that this individual knows how to pick. Um, as well as maybe help those companies. Can we talk a little bit about the value-add? Nancy, do you want to talk cover that?
1: Value-add. Um, I'm looking at Austin here. So I think he's an emerging manager at Lawson & Co. with his partner, AJ. But I, I, I think... A value add, just from where he's sitting, you know, he's connecting capital to new communities where capital wasn't as connected before. So, like, if, if you're an emerging manager, then you're going to go into some emerging market sectors. Like, I think that that's like a real, you know, source of, of value add that that's above and beyond. Um, the, the other thing, when when you say value add, you're always thinking about like, wh- how are you supporting the success of your por- underlying portfolio companies. What are you doing besides providing the capital? Um, it could come into, you know, helping build the talent, you know, helping open doors for, you know, customers. Um, you guys are gonna be much more savvy on, on the value-add aspects than I am, but, you know, just providing the capital is like not enough, right? So y- you have to be able to demonstrate that, that you're gonna source, then get behind your entrepreneurs and then accelerate, you know, their success. And you, you can't be all things to all people. So if you're a small manager, you better be picking like the one or two things that you can do, um, whether it's your network or like your, your client base, what you can do to accelerate. And, and success. it's and
0: it's not just that you have to show value add. You could have a strategy that you're just a good stock picker, and that's fine. You know, just demonstrate that some way and and show that. Uh Nat, we were talking about sort of just the relationship industry that we're in.
2: Yep. Uh you know, that's pretty important to know. Could could you address that? It's a small world. Um limited partners talk to each other. I mean, there are a bunch of us, but 40 what you said 42 years between just the four of us here. 46. 46. Time flies. Um
0: mostly Nat rounded up to 50.
2: <laughs> yeah. I just started, yeah, right. Um, and our our jobs is to our jobs are to uh, know who we're backing and know the track record and, and talk to folks. Um, so whether it's checking out a founder NPS, if you will, or talking to limited partners who might know of uh, GPs that we're currently looking at, we're going to do the homework. Um, so recognize that when you're having this conversation, because we'll talk by the time they're done doing their work, um, and just and just. I guess that's part of the the longer term perspective that you need to have to be successful. Um, I was joking with one of our VC managers last quarter. Uh, they've got a 2001 vintage fund with one asset left. Sell this thing, sell this thing. It's. I, I told them uh, that fund is about to be legally able to drink. Like <laughs> let's let's exit it. But it's because uh, they're still drawing fees. Why <laughs> they uh, not? Sell. But. Um, I mean you're, you're going to be in it for 10 plus years, 21 years in this ridiculous case. Um, and so just treat people accordingly.
3: I mean, one last comment about the value add, I think it's like a really good question because we are going to do our due diligence and through our due diligence we can see, uh, we'll call the entrepreneurs and ask them, hey, yeah. what is this GP actually doing for you? And they are often very honest about what the value add actually is. So I think that as an emerging manager, just any manager, really, to your point, Eric, we're not going to sacrifice our process because it's an emerging manager. We want to see that these certain things are in place, but those reference calls are very revealing, and we, we, won't, we will not invest unless we've done a thorough reference check on any manager. But through that process, we can see what is the value add houses, GP, uh, what are they doing on your board, are they introducing you to new investors? Are they helping you with recruiting? Are you helping you with operations? I mean a lot of different things that the GP can do, but we get that information from those calls. And
0: and be thoughtful when you're telling your pitch because we will verify, right? And you know, I am going through pitch book as somebody's giving their presentation. I'm looking at all the GPs that have co invested with you, the your main Uh, investments, who those co-investors are. If I see that CEO here at the Upfront Summit, I'll ask them, how's General Catalyst treating you? How's Tiger treating you? How's, you know, Bonfire treating you? And I I get it. I know, I know, no, no, he's doing a great job. Um, But, (laughs) and he's texting right now. He should be full attention on one of his favorite LPs. Shame on him. I just took a note of that.
2: (laughs) <laughs> Eric, we, we talked about this a little bit, but one of the players in our ecosystem who might be a little overzealous to try to demonstrate value add, do you want to share some thoughts on emerging managers interacting with attorneys?
0: Oh, okay. All right, here we go. Um, so, you know, you got to outsource some things and reach out to other people. Um, there's Law, few law firms that do fund creation. Make sure the attorney that you have that is gonna write your fund docs does do fund creation and not just corporate, right? There's a lot of things that are going on besides just pushing fees, terms, and conditions, which are, you know, not, not, good when you're first trying to get to a fund, I mean a, an LP and get access, because there's some LPs that'll just turn it away. This group doesn't have a track record, they're charging premium fees, terms and conditions, you're not even gonna get to meet that LP. And and I think the law firms are recommending that you come from a area of strength or you you just ask for something high and you negotiate low. There you're starting a partnership already trying to figure out what you can get away with. Just have a normal, simple fees, terms, and conditions and get this fundraising done quickly and get on with your business. When you prove yourself, start charging a premium. We're, ha- we're fine with that. Um, Also, vesting schedules. What I've seen on vesting schedules, which is insane to me right now, is that either they're omitted from the documents or they're two and four years, and that's usually the corporate attorney that's putting that vesting schedule because he doesn't know the difference between corporate and, and uh, you know stock options at a startup versus a fund. That's a 10-year vehicle. None of them end in 10 years. I wanna know you're committed for 10 years on your vesting schedule. And by the way, what, what happens when one of your partners who has a two-year vest walks away and decides they don't wanna be with you early on? Now half of your carry is going to someone who's doing no work for 10 years in your fund. Um, that causes problems. I've seen some of the best funds fall apart because of that. So I can go on, um, but I won't. Just be thoughtful. Ask ask other GPs, ask other LPs, what their thoughts are, and just make the decisions for yourself. Don't be pushed into something that's going to burn burn you later. Um, yeah, we'll 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 skip that. But what are some ideas that a GP should do
3: for trying to get to that first close? I think they just need to be brutally honest about what they're actually doing. I, I was literally just thinking about. A lot of times, me and my colleagues, we'll see a lot of pitch decks where they're saying, hey, we're on fund two, it's 12 months later, and it's a 70% IRR. I'm like, to me, that doesn't really demonstrate anything uh, other than just a buoyant market right now. I want to see that, hey, you have a great sourcing strategy, you have great co-investors, you have great support, you know, your entrepreneur network is really strong. I want to just tell me the truth about what's actually happening and don't try to fluff things up. But... The temptation to do that is probably very strong because you probably don't have much else to talk about other than uh, some of those performance metrics that are there. But I think that as experienced investors, we can see kind of through that. So really just be honest and upfront. To me, that's a little bit more attractive than just kind of fluffing up the numbers.
1: I think when you're getting started, you know, you're the new thing, you should be meeting as many potential investors as you possibly can. Not only thinking about fund one, but fund two, fund three. I think someone, one of my co-panelists here said like always be fundraising.
0: ABF. A- always, always, be. always
1: be fundraising. Like, you, you know, we've, we've invested in like someone's fund three, but we got to know them in fund one. And so you want to keep that long-term mindset and meet as many people as you can. I think if you're emerging, but also if you can articulate that long-term vision, you know, I'll come back to fees. I think fees are too high (laughs) in the industry. And you know, you're managing money for pension, you know, people's pensions, people's charitable organizations, and like the balance of, you know, the fees relative to like the beneficiaries, like just, just keep that in mind. And if you're confident in your success, be generous on the fees. We would anticipate like, you 're going to be helping finance your own startup for a little while and paying your team um, and like looking to earn like your money a little bit later on down the road and so bringing that sort of good faith to the, to the partnership um, would, would be useful
2: um, on a related point, and Eric, you asked about catalyzing that first close once you have a first close and you 're doing what you 've told your limited partners you 're going to do it gets it gets far easier from there, assuming the market doesn 't go completely to Crap. Um, so you, ha- you have to have that first close. You need the capital in to start becoming a VC and start investing. And so there are carrots that you can offer limited partners, whether it's a, a fee discount to make the first close or preferred co-investment rights. There are little things that you, you can consider. Um, you know, Placement agents exist, and I'd say they're probably most useful to get that first close. Now there's some LPs that see that a fund is being represented by a placement agent and just throw it out. Um, but it's something to consider because again, once you get the dollars in, once you have that closed and you can start writing commitments or writing investments from the fund, it, the flywheel is going to start spinning.
1: And do, do you have a champion in the first close? So do you have someone like Nat who's going to take an interest in you, <laughs> and then open some doors for you, yeah. and you know look to get behind your success in in, uh, in a way that can you know amp- amplify you know, above and beyond Nat. Like, I know you do that for certain managers, but you you have to earn that trust. Um, But having a champion in the first close that can be influential um, is so helpful.
3: So Eric, I have a question for you in regard to what is an emerging manager. I was just thinking to myself, let's assume that you're a, a first fund and you raise your next fund and your third fund within a period, a very short period or you're someone who raised a fund and it reached a certain size over the same period, is the emerging manager based upon your time or your size of the fund? And I know we asked this when we were talking about our prep, But it's like everyone might have a different definition of an emerging manager. How do you guys think about that at Mercer?
0: You know, for us, I mean, it it, it does vary from client to client. We have so many walks of life from a client perspective, and some have their own interpretation of it. Obviously, it's usually a fund one to three uh, with a team that's relatively new. and, And I would say a fund size that is reasonable right? And and not jump into some crazy fund sizes on your fund three, but just being uh, thoughtful about it. There's not a number. You know, some people say less than 200 million. There's the institutionality, we can understand, we, we can pattern recognition this pretty quickly. I think all of us were talking about we can see a pitch deck, we've seen so many, we already know what the story is and, and oh, okay, they brought their returns in later, there's issues, they put their, terms, uh, their returns up front, they're doing very well, the returns are not on the deck, this could be a hairy situation. Um, but you know we don't have any specific defini- definition. And, and one thing I'd like to add about the always be fundraising, you know, there's not even just that. Touch base with your LPs in between fundraising. I mean, nothing irritates us more than you're just asking for money, right? Um, there's a couple GPs. I would say, you know, Mark Suster at Upfront and Ira Aaron Price from uh, Dbl. Uh, they are masters. At touching base with LPs, new ones, potential, and regular ones, everywhere they travel on the planet, they try to set up meetings just like they do with entrepreneurs or meet their own entrepreneurs. I would suggest every time you're going to see an entrepreneur, try to get a meeting with uh, an LP. Great. So, turnoffs. I think I said mine. We need another one. Don't make me talk about I mean, it. I got. I'll, it. I I'll, I'll it go. Um,
2: this is the what not to do. Um, believe it or not, in 2021, there are still emerging managers who will send a PowerPoint version of their deck. Um, I've seen typos. via Gmail. Yeah, yeah. So if you're here, you are typo. That's a killer. I've seen mul- typos on the first page of a of a deck. Um, um, I'm I'm getting heated, and it's not just the bright lights. Um, so when here you are asking for somebody's capital for 20 years and you haven't taken the time to get your domain name, you haven't taken the time to set up your firm email address. Um, I get it. Like if there's urgency and you just spun out and you want to hit the ground with your first close, fine. It takes 30 minutes to set up an email address and to go into an LP discussion with this sort of shotgun wedding Um, demonstration right off the bat it's like what are you doing why are you doing this Um, and frankly don't waste my time
0: how about mail merge carpet bombing of emails at every everybody in the firm Uh, you know like at our firm you know, I'm the global head of venture growth equity it's gonna filter back to me it doesn't help hitting up every single person in the organization you know get it to a couple um, also, do your work before you're going to take the meeting. A little bit. It's so easy to look at LinkedIn to see who you're going to be talking to. Uh, I have a funny story. I, I worked at UPS and their strategic venturing group for a while, and someone in their deck had all these corporations that they worked with over the years, and there was the UPS logo on there. And and they're like, we work with the strategic investing group, and I, oh, so who do you work with there? You know, and uh, I'm like, you know. I, I, I used to work at UPS, and, and they started going, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, John, John, um, how do we? Uh, who do we know? I mean, they might have wanted to take that logo off their their deck if you know they knew they were going to be talking to someone that had worked there and knows the organization. Um, it's uh, so nice to understand the connections as well. So you know, if I know that the group is you know done co investments with upfront. You know, and they know that they see that you know, Greg and I are connected and Greg's on the board or whatever, when they call they can you know, introduce that and say, uh, Eric, by the way, I know. Any, any other tips, hints to get access to you,
3: Kevin? How, what's the best way to get access to you? Um, LinkedIn is by far the best way to reach pretty much anyone in this environment. But I guess to your point, I was thinking about some decks in regard to, like, I've seen decks where it's like a solo GP, and then they have, like, 20 advisors on their advisory board. I'm like, are you really talking to all these people, and are these people really engaged? It would be more compelling to see three or four that really know who you are and that can really vouch for what you're doing that is a little bit more appealing. But, man, there's so many different things that we could talk about in that regard, but I understand there's a limited amount of time. But if anyone's interested in and what we're doing... Website or LinkedIn is a great place to start.
1: I'd say you know ask for advice in every client meeting that that you have in respective client. It's an opportunity to learn. Um, there's so such a wealth of knowledge. Um, I think utilizing the network, like, are just hearing the my co-speakers here talk. Like when we when we go to investment, we have an internal investment committee. Um, I'm the co-chair of that committee, but like you, you see a memo. The first thing on that memo is the process and all the people that were spoken to. What were all the meetings that we had? What were all the references that were made to entrepreneurs, to other clients? Like it's a long list. So understand that the amount of work that's done, if you can like network your LinkedIn or someone who knows you really well, that, that always, that always helps. Um, And then kind of going back to what Nat said, you know, a typo or something like that. These are partnerships that are going to be lasting for like decades. Show some care. Um, every detail should just be perfect. That's how conscientious you should be. And hey, send a thank you note after. This is like old fashioned, but these things still work.
0: Love thank you notes. Nat, how do we get, get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, I mean, the inverse of the uh, scenario you described with a GP knocking on the door and saying, I want money, docs are due Tuesday. It's that longitudinal familiarity. It's, it's Suster dropping by when he's going to be in Denver, in my case. Um, it's, it's being helpful in, in opening one's own network to introductions that might actually assist an, an LP now and then. And if you think about NPS, I mean, this is something that VCs talk about with their founders, but something, I think the same concept applies to, to VCs and LPs. How can you stand out as a helpful, plugged in, informative partner? Um, and you can demonstra- uh, demonstrate that with prospective LPs. And whether they come into that first close or the final close or fund four, um, you can always work towards eventually consummating something just through being a good person.
0: And the last thing besides you know, showing passion when you're presenting, have some patience. It takes some time, right? And it's, it, it is kind of a, a numbers game, but you know, take your time, be thoughtful. Uh, don't worry if it's going to take a little bit longer. And, and realize that a lot of times we'll say, not now. Right, it's not a no. And every LP you meet is good for your brand because they know you're out there. It's a very difficult time to fundraise. There is, we saw 1,409 venture growth equity funds in 2020, 2021, it was only 1,100. I guess there's not as many people raising. Uh, but it's hard to get through all that and, and stand out and it takes time. and And right now we're in a cycle where our LPs have overextended their capital two cycles. You know The GPs are coming back with opportunistic funds growth, growth on growth, and we want to support that manager because we like them, so we've put too much capital to work. And everyone's over their target. And now, second cycle goes by, okay, we'll hit the top of our target. Now, we could have a potential denominator effect, and now it's the come to Jesus moment my portfolio that most of the clients are looking at have to either downsize or kick a manager out. So you're trying to raise money in a market like that, have patience, take your time, and thank you for your attention. Thanks, sir. Thanks. Thanks.